Welcome to The Creative Switch, the podcast inspiring the sensibly successful to switch on their unexpressed creativity for a more fulfilled life. How do you build creative freedom into your working day? You'll find out in this episode one possible way from my guest, author, Sarah Nisha Adams, and later hear a doubting Doris story which seems all too familiar. But before we get to that, you can head to my website, nickyvalance.com and sign up to join the Creative Switch community and get involved in the creative conversation. First though, it's time for some creative news in The Edge. So what's this piece of creative news? Do you know why walking might make you more creative? Mark Buckley, editor of Innovators Magazine and also the host of the Inside Ideas podcast, recently chatted to Gary Pratt about the science behind the benefits of walking for our creativity. Now, Gary's book, which I think came out in November, The Creativity Factor, goes into detail of the inspiration and innovation which come from getting outdoors and is focused on the scientific and practical evidence for entrepreneurial creativity. So whilst this book is predominantly a business book, it looks like it might be a useful guide for anyone looking to enhance their creativity or understand the science behind why walking or getting outside is helpful to us. And of course, those creatives who are sharing our work out in the world are business owners too. So it might be doubly beneficial. I'd love to know what you think about walking and whether it helps you with your creativity. Do share any of your stories in the Creative Switch community or get in touch with me on Twitter. All the links will be in the show notes. And perhaps if you listen to Mark's podcast or maybe buy Gary's book to learn more, you can let me know what you think. And keep listening to hear how walking enhances creativity for my guest, author, Sarah Nisha Adams. Welcome to the Creative Switch. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. I'm really excited to be here. I'm sure we're going to have a really interesting conversation. Could we start, please, with you telling the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. So I'm Sarah Nisha Adams and I'm an author. I've written two novels now. The Twilight Garden is my latest and my first one was The Reading List. And I have also been an editor for many years in the publishing industry and I've basically gone freelance since last September so it's been about six months now actually maybe more so I'm now a full-time writer so yeah that's me basically. So where did that all start? Did you know a long time ago that you wanted to use your creativity to write fiction or yeah where did it come from? Yeah I've always wanted to write fiction. I have always loved books and reading and it's been my first joy I guess in many ways I was always writing stories when I was little at any opportunity I would have like some scrap paper and I was always writing things down if my mum or dad had to do some shopping and I just was at a bit of a loose end so it's always been my way to kind of I think settle into myself and Mm -hmm. books have been yeah something that keeps me company I think and I find solace in books and I yeah they've always been a huge part of my life so it felt quite natural that I'd get into publishing when I discovered that was a career but I always wanted to write so I did get into publishing because I 
kind of wanted to know what it might like to be a writer. My mum had said to me, there's no way you can be a full-time writer. That's not really a job. So I kind of (laughs) wanted to find out if there was a way to make books a full-time job and publishing was the way I did it. So at what point did you discover that publishing route? Often when we go to school, particularly if we're sort of quite academic or good all-rounders, it's not really something that necessarily gets talked about. I mean, everyone knows about doctors and lawyers and the proper jobs, as they call them. So where did that come from? Who gave you that information? Yeah, so when I was about 16, I wrote my first book and it was really bad, but I wanted to do something with it. So at the time, I sent it off to a few publishers. I didn't know that you couldn't really just send books off to publishers then, but I also sent it to a few agents because my dad's second cousin was a book scout and I had no idea what that was, but she recommended a couple of agents who look at children's fiction, which is what I'd written at the time. And I sent it off there. I got some lovely replies. I was so young. So people I think took the time to respond to me and encourage me. And that's when I kind of knew that there was a whole industry and there was so Mm. much more to it than I first thought. But I did forget about it for a little while. And probably I was a bit burnt by not becoming an international bestselling author at the age of 16. But I eventually (laughs) picked myself up. And when I was at university, I think I knew I wanted to write, but for me, doing an English degree, it seemed like the only two paths that I could look at were journalism or teaching. Mm. I didn't think I really wanted to do either of those. And Mm. then that's when publishing kind of came back to me. And Mm. I thought about, I basically went to London Book Fair as a student and just had a look around. And I mean, it was baffling because... But it also, again, it was it reinforced that this is a yeah. whole industry. There is so much mm. going on here. There are so many different mm. paths in. And I managed to get some work experience for the next summer. So I did a week at Hodder and Stoughton and I loved it. I was just like checking covers and reading from the slush pile at the time. And it was probably the best week ever. So I then just spent time emailing everyone I could possibly find emails for in publishing asking if I could have some more work experience the following summer and actually the agency where I they'd called in my full manuscript when I was 16 offered me an internship and that was RCW so I went there and I I think had four weeks of an internship there and it was so great and the office is in Notting Hill are like a rabbit warren and it's full of like incredible agents who have such amazing clients many of whom were my favorite authors like Zadie Smith and I just couldn't believe that I was there and they asked me to kind of stay on to help with their royalty run and that my mum was so pleased because she thought oh maybe she'll get into like accounting because my mum is a, <laughs> is a maths person right. so that ticked both boxes for me working in a literary agency but also my mum working in a an accounts place so I really enjoyed that it showed me the business side of the industry as yeah. well and after that I kind of got into editorial in a publishing house but that was my way in in a way and as mm. soon as I started mm. working with writers I loved it I loved working like I was just proofreading things at first and collating manuscript changes and things like that but I got to have meetings with authors from ever since I was an editorial assistant and I loved meeting people who were creative and were creating whole worlds and books that I admired and seeing a book from that beginning of its journey as a manuscript to the finished copy in your hands the day it comes back from the printers was amazing I kind of forgot about writing in that time but yeah I loved working in publishing and it was such a privilege to do something that I loved yeah Mm. for my job Wow. 
obviously you were learning how to work, how to be in a workplace, and it was a, a stimulating environment for you. And it is difficult sometimes to do that as well as something else. So when did it round back to you thinking, no, I'm actually, I've got an idea, I want to write this book, the first one that you published? Yeah, so I'd been writing on and off for ages. Yeah. I think I had a very serious novel that I was writing ever since I graduated. And I just had got a bit stuck with it. I was a bit lost with it. And it was so much easier to just focus on other people's work. And mm. working in publishing, especially in editorial, you kind of have to read all the time. Really wanted to do well in my career. So I was trying to read all the books that were published out there that were our company's competition. I wanted to read all the submissions that were there. I wanted to help on as many edits as I could. So I was reading pretty much all the time, even outside of work hours. And yeah, writing sort of was the first thing to go in many ways. It was Mm. the thing I forgot to do or thought I'll do that when I feel I really need to. Mm. And then it got to a time when the the idea for the book came to me really clearly. Like there were some other books I was reading at the time that were uplifting and joyful. And for ages, I was like, I think I would like to write something like this because I predominantly worked on the crime list and I love crime fiction and always have. But it was very different to then Mm. reading these really joyful, uplifting, wholesome books. And it was the first time I thought maybe I could write something like this. It isn't a big, serious literary novel, which I think is what I'd been striving to write beforehand and I just knew that I really wanted to write a story about a library I really pictured the setting in my head which was Wembley which is where my mum's family all lived and I knew the characters immediately I knew how the book was going to end and then it was a case of just fleshing it out and getting it there and I remember calling my dad during my lunchtime when I had the idea I told him it and he's like yeah it sounds great do it so I think I wrote like the first chapter or something And it wasn't until I got a kitten and I took a week off work and I was like, I'm going to get so much done because I've got a kitten and she'll just sleep on my lap while I (laughs) type. And I was very naive. It's really not how it worked at all. But I did get quite a lot done that week. And then I had to have a deadline for it because I knew I would probably lose my way with it. And I prepared for submission for the Lucy Cavendish Prize. And I think they needed about 20,000 words of manuscript and a full synopsis. And it was really helpful to have that deadline and to have a full Mm. synopsis. That's the first time I wrote a synopsis for anything. And it just gave me a way to get through the book. And it meant that every day I was just, yeah, thinking about what I would write next. And I had that outline and it was all there for me. I didn't get selected for the Lucy Cavendish Prize. But by then it kind of didn't matter because I had that outline and I was I, I really wanted to continue with this book. And then I think I had moved into another job and it was like a very, it felt like a big jump for me. Yeah, I thought I need to be writing this book. It was maybe like three months later. And I think it was my boyfriend who said to me, like, you keep saying that you're a writer, but you're not making any time for it. And even though I had this idea and I had everything I needed to get going. So what I did was I just woke up an hour early. I looked out of the window for like 15 minutes and I used that time to sort of think about the scenes I was going to write. And then I spent an hour before work writing. Then I got up, left for work, and that was it done for the day. But doing something for myself first thing in the morning was like mm. so it really sort of changed my view on writing and it felt so satisfying to have done that before I've even Mm. started my working day. Yeah it must have had a positive impact on the working day as well because you've got it's a bit like going for a run in the morning you set yourself up with all those lovely endorphins of feeling like you've done something and achieved something. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I felt like I could really focus on my job again and really be present there as well, rather than constantly thinking, oh, I really want to be a writer. Because it's a bit awkward when you're working in publishing, working with loads of writers and you're like, I really want to be a writer, but I have no time to do it. Because then, yeah, I felt like it was possible or at least I was writing a book that I think I could be proud of. Did you talk to any of your colleagues about it or was it very much a private project for a while until you got it finished? Yeah, it was quite private for a while. And then at the point when I really wanted to find an agent, I asked some advice from people because it felt quite weird sending something out, Mm. being someone in the industry. So obviously you've got the upper hand because you know the agents and you know the process. But there's also that awkwardness that if you send to an agent and then they don't like your work, does that reflect negatively on you as an editor? And how might that be perceived and at that point I I knew that I still really wanted to progress in my career as an editor and also it felt awkward because I was obviously like working with loads of amazing authors and I didn't want them to think that suddenly I was doing what they were doing and and also I never thought that I would be anywhere near as good as any of them but I wanted to give myself a chance so I was yeah I was talking to my colleagues then and they were so lovely and just so supportive and I think it was quite helpful that what I was working on and the place I was working they didn't really do a lot of the fiction that I was writing so there was a bit of distance there so it didn't feel like what I would be writing was directly in competition with anything that I was working on so that was quite nice too but yeah they were really supportive and lovely and you just discover that there are loads of people in publishing who are writing books as well so I think it's just a love of reading and writing they quite often blend into one Of course, of course. So is there anything that you think would have stopped you? I mean, obviously, you had quite an early passion and an idea that you wanted to do this as as a job. But I guess you chose a path that at least might have led you to the right place by studying English. So was there any point at which you thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not going to do this? I... In terms of the writing or in terms of... Yeah, in terms of the writing, yeah, the writing. Yeah, I mean, I think quite often working in publishing, I felt you do see every side of being a writer. You see the super successful authors and you see those who've put their heart and soul into a book where it doesn't get picked up as everyone on the team hopes it would. And that did feel quite disheartening quite a lot of Mm. the time. And I think, Mm. especially as an editor, you're kind of, you work so closely with authors and you're sort of their port of call in the publishing house Mm -hmm. and you're with them throughout the whole journey so you feel it as you feel the highs and you feel the lows along Mm. with your author and I think I felt that a lot and I did feel like my book could not work at all and I'd have put all this energy and time into it and if it got published so many more people would be putting their energy and time into it and still it's so unknown so Mm -hmm. I was aware of all of that and I think that definitely could have stopped me I think it definitely would have been a thing where I thought do I really really want to do this and put an awful lot of creative energy into something that might end up just disappointing me because I think there's always that feeling that when you get a book deal or when you write a book you want it to be a bestseller you want it to be of course reviewed in all these places even if kind of realistically and even as an editor realistically I knew that that doesn't happen for every book but still there's a part of you that's always hoping that maybe this book will be the one so I think that definitely could have stopped me but I think that my love for the idea just kept me going Mm. and I just really wanted to write that book and I knew I wanted to finish a book for the first time in like 10 years or something 
Yeah. I mean, there's almost more than one strand of drive. So you've got the drive of the love of books and the love of writing. And then you've got the drive of this particular story and these characters. And oftentimes, you'll know this better than me, because I'm an author, but I'm not on the other side of the industry. But lots of people say that it wasn't their first or second or even third book that got an agent for them or a deal for them. And it wasn't even their first or second or third book that was the bestseller. But some people, it comes to the process later. So often everyone looks on and says, oh gosh, that's an overnight success. But of course it isn't. It's years and years and years of work, some of which will never actually be read by many other people. But that's the foundational work that you're doing to get that one book that everyone hopes is going to be the bestseller to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those stories are quite often the most inspiring because there's a lot of focus in the industry on debuts. And it often feels if your debut doesn't achieve quite what you wanted it to, it can feel really disheartening because I think it's not easy. There's nothing easy in publishing, but I think it's can feel easier to present a debut from an exciting new voice and that feels like something that pulls reviewers in and pulls people people's interest in and it can be really hard when you're on the second book and maybe the first one hasn't worked quite as you wanted it to to keep that drive going but I do think when you hear about uh, so many of the authors that I love it wasn't their first book or their second or their third book that hit the big time it was sometimes their eighth book and that does show like the publisher has to show commitment to that author and has to show that they see the potential in that author still book on book on book and that's I think a very special thing too but it does show that yeah you can find that idea at any time and I think publishing is so much a case of a lot of hard work on all sides but also luck and timing Mm. And that stuff that's quite out of our control, like you never know if you've written a book that's suddenly going to land with readers when it's out because you're, it's such a long process, like a year, if not more to write the book, then another year or whatever to publish it. And then by the time it's out with readers, has the moment gone or are you just coming up to the moment? So it is really, it's hard to judge. And there are so many little bits of luck and so many bits of luck in terms of what publicity you might get and what Mm. might catch fire. I try to tell myself that the only thing I can really focus on is writing a book that I'm proud of. And the rest is a little bit out of your hands and you can do your best publicity marketing. But yeah, you have to just write the book that you really want to write. Yeah. And do you have this sort of sense when you're writing for yourself, it's coming out of you, it's part of you. But do you have a sense of what you want to happen? Do you have a goal with it? Do you think, okay, well, to me, it's not about actually bestseller stuff. What that means being a bestseller is more people see it. Is it about making sure that that idea, that concept, uh, those characters reach as many people as possible? Is that the aim or is it something else? I think for me, I I just wanted the book to resonate with people. I really Mm. just wanted, if the book could keep one or two people company at a time when they really needed it, that meant more to me than anything else. And I knew that that's what I wanted. But even though in my head I was thinking, oh, Sunday Times bestseller would be amazing, wouldn't it? And <laughs> But I knew that at the core of it, I just wanted to write a book that people enjoyed spending time with. Because for mm. me, that's my greatest joy as a reader. And yeah, I got so many messages from people saying that it had become their favorite book. And what I love about the reading list is it was quite quiet in terms of sales and things early on. And I kept trying to like not 
feel disheartened by it but it just kept going and people kept recommending Mm. it to people and giving Mm. it to people and choosing it for their book clubs and for me it meant that it did reach many more people but it was so it was just so lovely to know that that's how people were finding it through word of mouth because they loved it and they were passing it on rather than having big splashy things right from the get-go for a book about books and a book that's about sharing books and connection it felt like the perfect way for it to reach readers totally so is there anything you would give people advice about in terms of the creative process so we're talking about the bit where you have the idea and then you turn it into something not so much the mechanics of being an author but that the actual connecting with your creativity what do you do to bring the ideas out and to bring it to life yeah, I think everyone has different approaches. Yeah. And I think definitely everyone should like play around with what works best for them. But for mm. me, I think I always, it's interesting because when I was doing, when people would ask me this after the reading list, I had a really clear answer. And then when, now that I've written my second book, it was a very different kind of process. I was almost relearning every time. And now I'm writing my third book and I feel like I'm relearning how to do it again. But I really like to I do think procrastination is a really good creative thing. So I think if you've got the idea, sometimes it just takes me a long time to sort of percolate on that idea Mm. and live with the characters in my head. So for The Twilight Garden, I think I'd thought of the idea in 2019, at the beginning of 2019 maybe, and I didn't start writing it until the end of that year. And I wrote like the first first 20,000 words about three times and every time it didn't work for me. But I started again and actually not that much changed in the actual text on the page. It was just yeah. the way that I was feeling about the characters changed and it just allowed me to rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it allowed me time to settle into them and really work out who they were. Um, I'm also a classic overwriter with my first draft and I think that can be quite helpful because I think you tell yourself the story first of all and I put in all the details that no reader ever needs to know and it's so baggy and full of stuff that no one's going to want to read but I find that really helpful to just get it out on the page so I have a really clear idea I can't remember who recommended it but I found it a really useful tip also to just spend time listening to music that your characters might listen to and things like that to sort of really immerse yourself in their world I quite often write led by my characters and they come to me first and they sort of lead the story and I can really feel in my draft where they're doing stuff that doesn't feel right for them and I won't see it necessarily until I come to edit it but by that time I've spent so much time with them that I'm like yeah you wouldn't do this this doesn't feel right so I think just allowing yourself the time to explore your characters Mm. I do find it helpful personally to have a bit of a deadline and also to write a little bit every day I didn't do that for the Twilight Garden and I actually found it really hard to get into the book I did with the reading list because I was just constantly thinking about them even when I was just going about my day my mind would drift back to them and I think just helped them become bigger than the story and that was really helpful so every time I got back to the book knew what I wanted to write about and I knew them better whereas with the Twilight Garden I was writing in holidays from work and it would be maybe sporadically every two three months I'd write big chunks and it felt a little bit disjointed until I went back over everything because I wasn't quite as settled into it until the last few drafts I knew exactly what I wanted the book to be but I hadn't got there yet because I hadn't been fully immersed in that world yeah okay and um when you're not writing do you have any other ways to express your creativity is there anything else you do that you would consider to be creative and and what does it do for you how does it help you 
Yeah, so I knit and I don't know if that's technically creative because I always follow a pattern from someone else. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I really love that as a way to sort of switch my brain off a little bit and connect Mm -hmm. probably a little bit more physically, but your mind is still sort of working, but it's quite repetitive. And I find that really, really helpful. I found it really helpful for my anxiety, but it's also just been a really helpful reset for me in lots of ways. So I really enjoy that. I love taking photos photography that's always been something that I've loved so I've recently kind of tried to get back into film photography I just really enjoy that because it makes me like observe the world a little bit more and slow down a bit more and I've really appreciated that in the last few months because I think it's just I notice things around me and actually that probably feeds into the writing too of course Um, yeah yeah I really enjoy those two things Brilliant. That makes me think of the type of comedy that is the observational type of comedy. One of my favourite things to do is to not just people watch, but people listen. Yeah. (laughs) So I sit in a space where I'm on my own, maybe in a coffee shop or something, and I just pick up other people's conversations and think, oh, that's interesting. I might put that in one of my books at some point. It is Um, the best thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think observing how people really are. I mean, obviously, People write books where they've made up the whole world and all the the beings in it. They're not humans. I don't think that's where my creativity takes me. Like you, I want my readers to find it relatable. And so almost the more ordinary the people are, the more interesting I find it. But I think then to make it dramatic, you have to create a story or a plot or something going on that isn't ordinary, that's a bit extraordinary so that it stands out. But in terms of the actual characters, I love writing people that people would go, oh God, I know someone like that. Yeah. (laughs) Or that's me. You know, that's the other thing you want, the response that you want, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I always feel that if I get a bit stuck with writing, I think writing in the pandemic was interesting because I did definitely feel stuck at points because I Mm. hadn't done that people watching and I hadn't been out into the world. And I kind of felt like, oh, I don't know how people, I don't know how to be anymore. How are people in real life? So as soon as I could start going out on walks again, I always tell myself, oh, I don't need to go for a walk. But actually, as soon as I do, and I just observe the world around me, yeah, those creative juices flow a little bit again. Do you use those times also, either with the knitting or the walking, to to let your brain solve plot holes or problems where you can't maybe get the character to go where you need them to go because they're not behaving or <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing? Definitely. Yeah, walking definitely. I remember I think pretty much every plot hole has been solved on a walk where my brain can just wander a bit and I can work through things. Knitting not so much because I think that's where I literally switch my brain off. But definitely with walking and also just Mm. talking to people and trying to chat things through quite often I would just like talk to my husband and just rub it on at him about my book and he doesn't need to say anything he just needs to be listening and I talk my way through it but sometimes he does come up with great great ideas and great solutions too but I do think talking and walking are great ways to solve plot problems fantastic so working on the third book so is the second book coming out this year is that it's already out yeah it's out out on the 8th of june so yeah so by the time this goes out it's out how exciting and so book three is underway would you say there is an obvious link not in terms of the actual stories because i know they're not in the series but could people start to now see what it is that you you are about and and if they were to say oh yeah that's definitely one of your books can you tell what that is have you got a sense of what that is yeah I think I think the first two in particular they're very uplifting and hopefully joyful books but they don't shy away from the realities of life Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of how 
what I like to write about. I do like to write hopeful stories, but I also want to write about the world as it is. So I don't always, I don't always sugarcoat everything, but I also want hope to shine through in mm. every moment. So both of those books are very much in that vein. And actually the third mm. one will be too, um, with maybe some more like complex relationships in there. So yeah, I think hopeful stories and uplifting mm. stories. I hope that's what people will come to my books for, but also not stories that just feel very cozy. I love cozy stories, but I don't always want my books to be cozy. I want them to like yeah. confront things head on as well in my books. Excellent. I ask all of my guests pretty much if they can actually think about and identify what I would call their switching moment, which is when they connected with their creativity for the first time. It's probably harder for you because you started with your writing quite a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. But can you recall a moment where you thought, oh, this is this is what I want to do? Or is it too vague because it was when you were a child? It's hard. I think I can definitely recall the moment where I decided that I wanted to focus more on writing than being in publishing. And for me, that was quite a big switch moment because for ages, I just wanted to do the best in both of those. And the switch moment was basically a moment where I just felt like I had run out of steam entirely. And I felt that I wasn't looking after myself. I wasn't putting everything into my writing. I knew that that was a moment I was like, I really want to focus more on my mm. books and interestingly yeah. since I've been freelance and had like the luxury of I guess creating my schedule around my writing I felt much more connected creatively because I feel freer a little bit freer mm. to do that and just own it a little bit more whereas before mm. kind of just writing away at the side and sort of trying to pretend that I'm not really a writer because I had a job in publishing and I was an editor and then suddenly just feeling like, oh, I am a writer. That's what I want to be. And that's what I've always wanted to do. And just, I felt a bit freer to tell my stories because I wasn't always thinking about readers and the audience, which is what my, I always had to think. So it's so nice. I actually felt much more connected to my creative side at the moment I said, I don't need to do that anymore. I'm writing a mm. book that I really want to write, which is advice I've given out to everyone always, but I've never always followed it. I'm always thinking, oh gosh, what if someone really doesn't like this book? Um, and that mm. can just turn your creativity right off yeah definitely so how important do you think it is having had that realization how important do you think it is to leading a fulfilled life to tap into whichever area of creativity somebody has is it part of being human and and is essential or why do we do it why do we need it yeah, I think we all express ourselves through our creativity. And I think even people in very logistical jobs find their creativity either through things outside of their work, but also potentially through their jobs themselves, because I think we do find moments of creativity throughout our whole lives. And I do think it is really important for us just to express ourselves and try to be a little bit freer, because I think society can like put us all into boxes I think feeling able to be creative either in like the clothes that we wear or the words that we write or the way that we express ourselves to the world or through the photographs we take or through things we put on social media as well because we're all kind of curating it in a creative way and I think that mm. can be really important for us to just feel that we can be ourselves it can be hard if you're always trying to curb your creativity because sometimes maybe it feels that you're not expressing yourself in the most honest way to you yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that it's not as valuable for some reason, although there seems to be more awareness at the moment in a, in a similar way to how science 
confirmed that being in nature is good for us. I think the same thing is happening with creativity at the moment. And people are saying, yeah, just for the sake of it is okay. Doing something just for the sake of it for yourself to feel that fulfillment and the mindfulness that that comes with it. Interestingly, just to pick up on one last thing before we close, you mentioned knitting. I love knitting too and sewing. And I'm very much a follower pattern person because I've never learned not to do that. But do you think there's a difference between making and creating? Because you're still producing something that didn't exist with your own hands. But yeah. it, it, do you think there's something else about creativity that's that's a different definition? I don't know. I mean, I think just because I'm just, I so rigidly follow patterns and I'm aware <laughs> that I'm creating something that someone has literally thought up in their brain, it always feels to me that I think it is creative because you are creating something and you choose the colour of wool that you use and things like that. So I think they're all creative things in there. But for me, like knitting for me is... I'm making it and I'm not the artist who's created the thing in the first place, if that makes sense. But you're Mm -hmm. still using the muscles of creativity, I think. I want to learn how to sew. So that's my task for this year is to learn how to sew. And I would love love to kind of just get to know some, because I've free knitted things before. But again, I just feel like I'm just using something that's quite straightforward and basic. And I'm not very Mm. good at creating beautiful, intricate patterns. So yeah, I don't know. But I only... I don't think I would say that if I met someone else who like maybe was a carpenter and follows a certain style every time because I mm. think that is a really creative thing. So yeah. maybe it's just the way I do knitting and the way I yeah. think of myself as a knitter. I'm not thinking yeah. of myself as a creator in that moment. Yeah, there is, there's a difference between the technical ability to do something and then the freeness of almost breaking the rules. And I guess that's about the amount of time you spend doing something. So initially, you need to learn the craft of writing to be able to produce a book. But you don't have to have a certain number of chapters or definitely have a a prologue and epilogue. Or There's so many different things that the story will need, but you won't have the confidence to decide that until you've done it a lot. And I think probably with knitting, there is quite a lot of technical stuff so there's the basic stuff. There's one level. Yeah. Yes, you can make a garment. And then I guess it's more to do with perhaps if you were interested in doing this and you might not want to because you're using knitting as a way of switching off. So why would you want to stress yourself out and make something complicated? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, if you decided you wanted to explore that more, I guess what you do is you choose harder and harder patterns and then you start yeah. to learn what those are. And then you you are, then have the ability to maybe put different bits of different things together. I guess that's how you would do it. This is what we were saying earlier on. There's no reason that everything you make or do has to have an end game of being something that you share with the world. And for everybody who's listening, you might have this burning desire to be a best-selling author or to be a fashion designer or whatever that people do know about. But equally, there's benefit to just tapping into that creativity and seeing where it takes you and not having too much, having a bit of a loose skull that doesn't necessarily yeah. lead you anywhere just to see what happens. And that's the exciting bit, isn't it? Definitely. And I think it's that freedom that can encourage you to start being creative in the first place and feel that you can express yourself. Because I think sometimes yeah. if we always have a goal at the end, that can become a bit of a stumbling block sometimes because it feels like we're not progressing. Because I think with creativity, progress isn't linear. So I think if you have a goal at the end and you feel like you're moving further away from it at some points, sometimes that can stop you in your track. So I think being yeah. as free creatively is a really important thing. Definitely. One of my coaches, one of the people I'm working with at the moment, we were talking about this. She said in her life, she's 
very, very structured and ordered. And that's how she's always worked, very neat and organized. And she said one of the things that she was struggling with was understanding that as a writer, she's totally not. She's actually quite messy. Yeah. <laughs> and the process yeah, is messy. And it only started coming together towards the end. And then she suddenly thought, well, but everything's here. I've done it already. And then it all kind of coalesced. And she recognized that actually it was the groundwork beforehand yeah. that felt awkward and felt distant. But actually then all those building blocks come together and, and make the final draft. So yeah, allowing yourself to be free, which is quite yeah. hard in today's society. Because as you say, everyone's expecting things of you to do things yeah. a certain way and to fit in a certain way. And actually to be an individual, I think you have to feel an individual to express yourself creatively. So it's quite hard to do that. You have to kind of push against yeah. those other forces. Yeah, absolutely. What a wonderful conversation. We could, could, I'm sure we could go on for hours, particularly talking about books, because it's a passion that we both share. Can you tell everybody where do you mostly hang out? Where can they find your work? Yes. So I'm mostly on Instagram at Sarah Nisha Adams Books. And I've also got a link tree, um, which is linktree slash SNA books. So you can find all my links to the books there. I've also got a newsletter, which I send out every four weeks or so. Again, I don't I don't have a strict schedule, but it's just an update from me on life and writing. And yeah, my books should be available from your favourite bookshop. Thank you so much and good luck with the launch of the book. Thank you so much, Nikki, and thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah as much as I did. Sorry, not sorry, for talking so much about books. Let me just remind you to head to NikkiValance.com to join the Creative Switch community or do follow me on Twitter at Nikki underscore Valance. Now it's time for another classic Doubting Doris story from someone who switched away from the sensible path earlier in life than most. Remember, a doubting Doris is a trusted adult who suggested you should keep your passion as a hobby or that you should get a proper job. So this individual who wants to remain anonymous is in her early 50s and she's refinding her creative self. She was bright at school in the top set and did well in her O-levels, including art. But when it came to choosing A-levels, she didn't really get much choice. Unless she wanted to blaze a feminist trail in engineering, this is actually what her English teacher said, then it would be English, maths and French. The sensible path to university for a bright girl. Art A-level just wasn't on the table for her. That was made clear. In the end, she dropped out of sick form and got a job because she didn't like what she was doing and she didn't know where she was going. Today, art is a vital part of her life and she's working towards making it her career too. Why don't you get thinking about your Doubting Doris stories and come and share them with us in the community. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Creative Switch. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, please let me know on Twitter at Nikki underscore Valance. Now, can everybody sing? I do hope you join me and Emma Balin, founder of Shared Harmonies, to find out the truth about singing and its many benefits. And remember, why survive when you can thrive?